Hey everyone, this is Dave Korsunsky from Data Driven Health Radio. On this show, we look at how individuals are empowering themselves and using data to transform the way they manage their health. We interview the health experts and the scientists that will help you understand and interpret the data. We speak with the entrepreneurs who are building the tools and the technology that are allowing us to quantify our health in novel and powerful ways. And most importantly, we speak to the individuals who are beating the odds on everything from cancer to diabetes to weight loss and general health and wellness. This show is brought to you by Aura. They make a state-of-the-art ring that can track sleep cycle analysis, activity, and recovery. You can learn more about this product at headsuphealth.com Aura. That's O-U-R-A. This show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Keto Mojo. They are making a highly accurate and highly affordable device for testing blood sugar and blood ketones. Check it out at headsuphealth.com slash ketomojo. And lastly, the show is brought to you by Level. They are making a clinical-grade breath ketone analyzer, which measures your level of fat burning and ketosis through a simple breath. You can learn more at headsuphealth.com slash level. That's L-E-V-L. All of these amazing products are integrated with Heads Up Health. They all allow you to quantify your health in novel and powerful ways. So check them out. Thank you to our sponsors. Welcome to our show, and let's get into it. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hi all, this is Dave Korsunsky with Data Driven Health Radio. And today I am with Tyler Boggs, which is a really cool dude I met a few weeks ago at the Nutrition Therapy Association Conference in Vancouver, Washington. I loved what his company was doing in terms of providing sustainable and ethically raised animal and produce products. And he was feeding us all at the conference this delicious food. And I wanted him to come on the show and just talk a lot about his business and educate us on what it means to properly and ethically raise different animal and vegetable products in ways that a lot of us may not fully understand. And so, Tyler, welcome to the show. You're going to do a much better job articulating this than I am. I butchered that intro. So just start off by uh, saying hi, telling us about yourself and your company, and uh, then let's go from there. Well, hello. I appreciate you having me on the show. We've been teaching regenerative farming gosh, for about eight years now. It started just by raising our own food and, and then realized slowly that the, like the level of toxicity in commercial food was far greater than we were willing to accept. And not only that, but like the access to information was super limited uh, and good food is expensive. And so we very quickly developed a community farming mentality where we would allow We'd set aside 50% of everything that we grew and produced for people to work trade for, uh, started a food pantry for folks that were hurting financially. And so currently we're doing about 100,000 pounds of food a week through the food pantry for free. And then we've got programs we did. We donated over $20,000 worth of meat last year uh, to families that were hurting that were able to come and work trade. And then we do a lot of consultation work and then teaching and education when it comes to how to begin a regenerative food system or how to source high quality foods, especially on a limited budget. 
So let's start there with regenerative farming 101. And what does that even mean? For a lot of our listeners, they're not familiar with that term. We're probably buying what we think is healthy food from our supermarket. And so let's just start there with the definition of what that term even means, regenerative farming. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So sustainability is something that people are familiar with. Um, yes. And sustainability is, you know, everybody tries to source sustainably produced products. And the challenge with that is that sustainability uh, by definition means that we're, we're no longer going backward. We're not making any progress. And I don't think there's any area, I mean, there are very few areas in life where we would be content sustaining, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be improving health. We want to be improving finances. We want to be improving our nutrition. But yet somehow with our food, like sustainability has become like this goal. And so regenerative food production is food that's produced while building the soil, while healing the water, you know, while cleaning the water and healing the planet. And, and actually, so that every time, every year, the soil quality is better, the water quality is better, the air quality is better, the system actually adds to the land and then in, in turn really adds back to our health. So you guys are based where? Where is, where is your property located? So we've got two properties. The main one, our retail site is just south of Portland, just southwest yep. in Sherwood, um, right in between Sherwood and Newburgh up on the hill. And then we've got 100 acres where we graze most of our livestock and that's down in Winston about three hours south. Okay. And so how long have you guys been doing this for? What, what, what brought you into this, this field? Gosh, uh, so we've been teaching for eight years. And this originally, my wife purchased the property. I was, I transitioned out of the military into the civilian sector. She did the same thing. Yep. And the transition was rather rough. And just to get a little bit, you know, just to get outside the city and to have some peace and quiet and some space and to give me, I mean, really kind of a hobby. Mm-hmm. And we watched, I think Food Inc. was the first thing that we did. We watched Food Inc. and, and it absolutely terrified us. And it, it, that's what started the dive into nutrition. And we realized the level of toxicity in our food was way higher than we had ever dreamed it was and started to learn more about the commercial food production system just in general. Mm-hmm. And started, so we started raising our own food in 2000. And then it wasn't long before our family said, well, you know, I'd love to get some of this and I'm having trouble finding this and what's the difference between this and that. And so we started teaching and coaching and raising extra for our friends and family. And then, you know, the operation just kind of grew, you know, no pun intended, but organically, just because the need in the community was so great. And awesome. so in 2003, we founded the food pantry. And so, yeah, it's been eight years total. Yep. So no previous experience in terms of your, your past life experiences in, in terms of doing this. It sounds like you started on this as something as, as a personal endeavor, and then it grew from there. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up on a farm. And yeah. so, I mean, I, I was raised on 133 acres and, and we grew our own food. We didn't call it organic. We just called it food. And I didn't realize that there was a name like permaculture or regenerative farming. Uh, that was just kind of the way that we did things. But so it was in my blood and then, but I moved off the farm and started training with the army at a very young age. And so by I was in the delayed entry program and, and working with them pretty readily. And so, uh, but it it was really healing to come back to the farm and come back to the land and the soil and working with the animals for sure. Very therapeutic for anyone, I'm sure, to be working outdoors, working with the soil, working with land, being outdoors, et cetera. So Tyler, maybe we can start just by taking a, a closer look at the way industrialized food is produced. And you touched on this, but you touched on the amount of toxins that are in that food. I'm sure if we look at it purely from uh, the point of view on the animal side, we, we can cover the, the produce side later. But help us understand, first of all, with, with raising animals on, on the industrialized side, how they're raised, how they're fed, 
how they're nourished and, and how that introduces toxins into the system and then how that differs from doing it in a regenerative way. I don't think people, they, you go to the store, you, you pick up a pound of uh, ground beef, you put it in the shopping cart, and there's a huge difference between something that, uh, that animal that has been raised in a highly industrialized continuous feed operation versus an animal that has been raised in a regenerative farm. So for those who are uneducated, can you help us understand just some of the differences there? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is really one of my motivators. Um, and yeah, a perfect example is I had a, a client come by, well, a gentleman come by, was not yet a client, come by the farm a couple of weeks back. And he was kind of looking lost and look, I mean, he's actually looking traumatized. And so I asked him if he had an appointment, if he needed any help. And he said, no, you know, I don't have an appointment. I just, I need to change the way that I eat. But there was more to the story. And so I, I, I just kind of probed him a little bit and he said, well, I'm a meat washer. That's my job. And I wash meat for, well, we'll just say three very, very large companies that everybody on this call would recognize. And he washes all the hamburger and he's, and I said, okay, so what brings you here? And he said, well, I spilled the wash on my sweatshirt last week. And he pulls out his arm and shows me his sweatshirt. And it looks like it went through an acid bath. I mean, there's holes eaten all the way through it. He said, Skin. within three days, my sweatshirt was falling apart. And I'm washing the burgers. I'm washing the ground meat in this stuff. And I can't do it anymore. And I don't know where to start. Yep. And so part of the challenge is, you know, what we realize is that the people that are producing our food didn't necessarily have our best interest in mind. And I know that, that, I mean, maybe for a lot of people that sounds obvious, but for me, I mean, I would imagine that, that producing food would, I mean, that's part of the stewardship process that you want to produce something that's nutritious. And, uh, but as soon as, you know, it grows past a certain point, the person producing it is no longer the person selling it. And, uh, and a lot of those controls are off. So when we first started, for example, when we first watched Food Inc., we said, no more, we're going to buy 100% organic, 100% of the time, grass-fed meat. We started looking at the differences between grass-fed and grain-fed meat. If you aren't familiar with that, it starts shifting all of the, the, the HDLs and the LDLs. I mean, it takes two weeks to change the chemical composition uh, of, in your meat. So two weeks of grain feeding. So we started buying you know, organic grass-fed meat. And, and obviously it's expensive. And our food bill went from $400 a month to over $1,400 a month. I mean, yep. right away, which is super challenging in and of itself. Uh, and part of the motivation behind us starting to raise our own. But the other thing that we realized over time is that, so we're buying organic grass-fed meat. Grass-fed meat by definition is grass-fed up until 90 days before slaughter. And then it's grain. It's grain finished. And so if it takes 14 days to change the chemical composition of the fats and all of your cholesterol levels, and, but, but they can label it grass-fed, but then it's grain for the last 90 days of its life, like you're, you're, it's better off, better off to raise it on grain and then grass-feed it for six months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but pasture is expensive. So it's, I realized when I learned that, I think it really sunk in how much marketing is used and the, and the catchphrases are used to sell us products that may or may not be what we're actually, what we think we're getting. And grass -fed, originally, grass -fed I would imagine when you bought grass-fed beef. Yep. What's that? Grass-fed. Yeah, and originally when you bought grass-fed beef, I'm sure that it was grass-fed, grass-finished. But then the lobbyists get in there and say, well, man, we could we can double our money if we just grain them for the last 90 days and let's lobby to change the definition of grass-fed 
And so now it has to say grass fed, grass finished. And so that was a recent change, by the way, uh, Tyler. I I do remember reading when that legislation got changed and and when they were able to successfully change the definition from a marketing point of view of what you can put on the package in terms of actual grass fed, grass finished. So, So that exactly like you described, that was a recent change where you could now label it grass fed, even though it even for the last 90 days, it may have been completely grain fed. I'll dig up actually in the show notes when that was changed, when it was passed. It was recent within the last 18 months, I believe. So I think that's an important distinction for people to understand is that even buying something off the shelf now that says grass fed, I just bought some from Safeway two, a couple of days ago. Even at that level, you still need to do some investigation into the sourcing of those products. Is that the way you would look at it? If, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't have access to other sources, let's just say that. It's not convenient. So let's yeah. put it that way. So it's never convenient, but everybody has access to sourcing. Everybody. Yep. Yep. I mean, we deliver quarterly from Seattle to LA and there are farms around that will do it. It just takes digging, but it's super, super critical. And it goes, because it goes far beyond grass-fed, grass-finished. I mean, that's like the tip of the iceberg. Yep. But you can take my animals that are raised on fresh fruits and vegetables. And I mean, like literally, that's why we started the food pantry because we were sick and tired of the commercial feed because I had a buddy that was having feed blended and he was paying four times the money to have all these custom local feeds blended and it was all organic. And, and he took it in and got tested and it was riddled with chemicals. I mean, it was absolutely insane. And I went to the USDA website and printed off their organic guidelines, their certified organic guidelines. And there's like a six page list of synthetic ingredients that are, that are allowable in certified organic feed and all of these things that you can legally inject. And so, and I was like, man, if this is what's allowable in so, certified organic feeds, I mean, don't even get me started on commercial feeds in general. Yeah, the, so the certified organic is supposed to be the better one, and they've got their own list. Like, I'd, I'd be afraid the industrialized list of right. what's permissible. Oh, absolutely. Abs- it's super petrifying. But even if you get beyond that, so let's say you get beyond the commercial feeds and it's completely grass-fed, grass-finished, it's certified organic, you can take my animals that are raised beautifully with love and tenderness and given fresh fruits and vegetables their whole life. If I move them, so if I'm selling by the pound beef, for example, I have to have them harvested, processed at a USDA slaughter slaughterhouse. So if I take my cows and I ship them, I don't care if it's two miles down the street to the butcher, they're if you, if you know anything about the adrenal system or cortisol, their bodies, are, they're, they're in panic mode. They're freaked out. They're not of in their course. natural environment. They get shipped to a slaughterhouse and that affects, I mean, the chemical composition of the meat for sure. So, and there's no way to get around that buying meat from the store at all. Every single package at the store has to be USDA certified, which means it has to be processed in a commercial slaughterhouse. So the only way to get around that is by meeting your farmer. And this is my philosophy with folks. And I don't care where they live. I don't care how inconvenient it is. If you're serious about your health, you have got to meet your farmer. You've got to see the cows, look at the farm, make sure it aligns with your values because everybody's values are different. Some of us, our priorities, the, the, you know, the environment, some of us yep. are really, really, we got to get the antibiotics and the hormones out of our meat. Some of us are really worried about the chemicals that are sprayed on vegetables, but there's no way to really to really understand what's going on without going there and, and getting your hands in the dirt and seeing the people that are raising your food. So let's come back to that in a second, but I wanted to ask you about some of the testing that, that you would do. 
for example. So you, you just gave the example of the individual where you had the meat tested and it was still riddled with toxins and other types of harmful things. How does one get that testing done? And what are you looking for, for instance, if you're going to have a sample tested? What, what types of toxins would you expect to see in there? And what types of toxins should, should be avoided that are in these industrialized products? You know, that's, that's a great question. And so my buddy had the feed tested. The he feed. didn't have the meat test. Okay. And so he, you know, I don't even know what lab, but he just called up a local lab and he sent in a sample of feed and they tested it for hormones, antibiotics, chemicals, sprays, uh, you know, pesticides. So that was in the I don't, feed. That, yeah, that I, don't, was I don't actually have no idea. Okay. Right. And that's with a, an organic and well-intentioned feed that someone has yep. put together themselves that was still yep. filled with all of these types of things. Now, for a continuous animal feed operation at an industrial scale, what are those animals eating? Every farm is different, but corn is the primary ingredient. You know, I mean, and, and that's, that's just kind of by and large, it's, it's cheap. It's super cheap. It puts weight on fast. But I've heard about farms. Now, so let me digress just a moment. So certified organics feed is not supposed to have all of these things in it. Okay. However, this gentleman, my, my buddy was buying from a guy who was buying from a guy and the seed was actually, it turns out that the seed was imported from China and that's what, that was the source of it. But the problem now is, is generally speaking, the person that's, that's selling the feed isn't the one that's growing the seed. And so there, there, it just changes hands so many times. And so that's the challenge. So if you're buying certified organic feed, it's not supposed to have that stuff in it. And I would imagine most of it doesn't, but you know, he wasn't confident in the ingredients. And so he wanted custom blended stuff. And the problem was it just, you know, I mean, if you don't buy from the person that grows it, it's super challenging to control what's in it. So, cool. um, so I just wanted to kind of give that. Yeah, this, thanks for clarifying there that. Not be there are regulations around certified organic. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, at, at the NTA conference, you were serving up a bevy of different products. Some, some animal products I'd, I'd actually never even tasted or heard of before. So on your farm, which ones are you growing? Which animals are you producing there that are, that are sold as, as meat products? Uh, we do mo mostly non-USDA regulated meat products. So yak and alpaca are USDA exempt. Alpaca, um, that, that was the one, yes. Yak and alpaca, okay. Yeah. We also do, I mean, believe it or not, so we raise chucker, we raise pheasants, we raise quail, ducks, and geese because the poultry bill allows you to do 2,000 poultry a year without using a USDA facility, which is super fantastic. It means mm -hmm. we can process them on site. Um, and then, we, you know, so we do turkeys. We also do rabbits. And we do have, we do a handful of cows, goats, and sheep, all of those, as well as pork. Um, and all of those are USDA regulated. So we will either sell them by the whole or the half Yep. or people can come and process them themselves. Okay. So that's the way that is the only way to sell those animals without sending them to USDA slaughterhouse. And so people that want to want to buy from you, they want to have a relationship with your organization. You, you referenced earlier, this one individual showed up with no appointment whatsoever. But for other people who do want to get to know the farmers in their area, who do want to see how an animal is raised, who do want to check out the farm, it sounds like you encourage people to make appointments with a farmer in their area and act to actually make a trip and go out there and, and meet the people and, and see how things are done. So what is that process for you with new customers? You encourage them to come down and meet you. And let's say someone's listening to this on the East Coast. How would they even start to find someone like yourself in their area? And what should they do when, once they find the Tyler up in the, the Northeast, for example, or the Southeast or or the Midwest or something like that. 
Uh, so I would say that Craigslist is probably your greatest resource uh, because yeah. small farmers are, are a lot of times are not using social media. Yep. Um, uh, social media can work, but Craigslist is a good place to start. There's Capital Press. Uh, there's usually an agricultural publication. Just keeping in mind that like most of these guys are great with the soil and the land and the animals, not necessarily with people. You're not crushing it on Snapchat all day, Tyler, while you're while you're preparing the, these products. Is that what you're telling us here? I am telling you that the, I barely learned how to use Facebook, and my daughter makes fun of me all the time. She says Facebook is for old people. She has all these. Twitter and Instagram, and I, I have no idea. I think we have an account, but I don't think anybody's ever used it. Well, um, well, it was hard to get a hold of you even to schedule this podcast, which means you're a man <laughs> who's operating off the grid. So I completely yep. 100% respect that. That means you're focused on the things that really matter over there. Yeah, it's, it's tough to do both. I mean, it really is because farming sure. is such an intensive process. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of times the farms don't have great cell reception, like we don't have very good cell reception. So, yep. you know, you might as well send a pigeon or a smoke signal. But So Craigslist, farms, local regional types of publications where you can start to find people. Any other ways you'd recommend? I'm obviously just Google searching, but like if you went on Craigslist, what would you search for? I went on Craigslist. I mean, I, you, I would search for what I wanted to purchase. So my biggest concern in the beginning was chemicals in the meat. And so I would search for beef or I would search for pork or I would search for, you know, for chicken. And, and you'll find these farmers. And then the idea is it's super important to be gentle with these guys. So we farmers get attacked a lot. Farmers get attacked by vegan organizations on a, on a fairly regular basis. I mean, I would say I probably received 10 to 20 like hateful correspondences, whether it's email or phone calls or messages per week. So it's, so it's all, so keep that in mind. So if somebody calls me with a giant list of questions, like in a demanding tone, because they're frustrated with the food system that generally is met with resistance. So just keep that in mind when you reach out to a farmer to be like loving and gentle and understand that he's working really, really hard and trying his best and nobody's perfect. So I would reach out by Craigslist for us. It's easy. You just go to heart to heart farms.com. Yep. You know, and that's heart like in your chest, the number two, and then heart and then farms is plural heart to heart farms.com or heart to heart farms on Facebook and yep. shoot us an email and there's contact forums. We do lots of internships and apprenticeships. I mean, teaching is really the foundation of everything that we do. So if you're serious about learning about regenerative food systems and nutrition and how to eat organically and source locally and, or create a movement like this where you're at, give us a shout, come on out. We do three months, six months and one year internships and, and love to teach. So sending an email is the best way to reach us and say, hey, this is what my interests are. Um, if you send an email that says, call me, um, you, you very likely will get a snarky response um, just because we get so many of them. But yeah, say, hey, look, this is what I'm looking for. This is what, you know, this is what my values are. These are the challenges I'm having. I'd love to get some more information. And we generally respond within 24 hours. Cool. So people can do that, they, they, whether, whether they're dealing with you or dealing with someone in their area, but looking on Craigslist, finding a couple places that they're interested in, contacting these individuals, ensuring that's an organization that they feel comfortable doing business with. And then a certain percentage of these people I'm imagining have the opportunity to come down and actually spend time with you or whoever the proprietor is of that business and get a sense for how the operation is run and, and really build that relationship as, as part of the process, I think, is perhaps a big part of not just how you're, you're, you're doing the farming, but also how the relationships that people doing regenerative farming can have with their customers, which is a completely different way, I think, for a lot of people about sourcing their food. Yep. And it's tough. It's inconvenient. But you, one client 
will make a difference between a farmer staying in business and go, or going out of business. It's really hard work. And so having somebody come out that is appreciative and loving and understands the sacrifice that farmers make means a lot. And so by doing that, yeah, every single time we spend money, we're, we're casting a vote and saying, I want more of this in my community. Yeah. And so if we're buying it, you know, a giant chain and we're buying the cheapest stuff out there, I mean, we're voting for chemicals and, you know, destruction of farmland and soil depletion and erosion and pollution of water. I mean, every single time we spend money, we're voting. And so it's less convenient for sure, but I encourage people visit it a minimum of once. And then if they've got a delivery program, great. But I would say, you know, a regular visit is super, super, super valuable, not just to you, but to the community because it, it helps the farmer realize that he's appreciated. Yep. Awesome. I think that's, you know, I'm just thinking about here. I'm new living up in, in the Lake Tahoe area and I've, I've driven past a few farms that are, that are providing services similar to yours. I haven't made the effort yet to go establish that personal relationship and start buying in that way. But I think that's definitely something that I can do. And I'm just wanting to try to relate that for other people who can potentially do the same. So I think that's a great way for people to get started is just do some research, find a couple places, go meet the people, shake their hand. I got to shake your hand at, at the in Vancouver as you were uh, feeding us delicious morsels. But building that personal relationship, I think, is great. And I recall that in, in some of the research I've done, actually doing the farming in a regenerative way can actually produce more food, actually, per acre than perhaps traditional industrial operations because the soil is constantly regenerating itself. So when you try to make the argument that this is not as efficient, for example, versus massive operations, it's actually the, the inverse. Is, is that correct? Where you can actually be more efficient with the land than you can in industrialized operations. Yes, you can certainly be more productive. And, and I'm not sure. So, so productive and efficient could be used synonymously. I think the challenge that big commercial operations have is they want one guy to be able to sit in a tractor and drive down the rows and have the tractor do all the work. Mm -hmm. um, and that only works in monocrop system. So when you start using polyculture and food forests and permaculture, you know, no-till farming, then it's got to be done by hand, which is one of the reasons why real food is, is expensive because the man hours into it, because it's all touched by people. And the difference, I mean, I, don't, I think that a lot of us don't realize, I, mean, I certainly didn't realize the difference in the quality of food. So like the produce, for example, can't absorb something that's not in the soil. So they say that it takes 16 heads of cabbage today to have the mineral content of one head of cabbage in 1952. Wow. So, say that yeah. again, please. That, that is a, a staggering statistic to, to think about. So the, part of the challenge is, you know, with our nutrition is that, the, again, the, the produce can't absorb something that's not present in the soil. And because our soil has been stripped and replanted, stripped and replanted, stripped and replanted, the mineral content, the, the soil is depleted and the, the, our produce, our food in turn is depleted. And so they say it takes 16 heads of cabbage today to equal the mineral content of one head of cabbage in 1952. So 16 to one to get the same nutrient. And so our bodies, the result is our bodies are, are like, we're starving. We've got this super me generation where we're hungry. We're malnourished, but overfed, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Because there's no way to increase our food consumption by 16 times, yeah. right? So the result is that our body is just malnourished. And, and because commercial fertilizers have three main ingredients, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium because that's what makes the plant pretty and it, it's what makes it produce but our three of hundred you know i mean how many hundred yard bodies need a giant diversity of minerals and we're adding three and so 
systems that aren't using vermiculture or mycorrhizal mycelial operations to to add soil and add you know there's supposed to be a, a 12 inch thick living mat on top of the soil and if you're not healing the soil you're certainly not getting the nutrients that you need to. so that's on the produce side then it's, it's just the the differences in the soil for example, which is where the well, plants are getting their nutrients from. And, and that's another thing that as part of having a relationship with someone like yourself, you can actually start to choose produce that is grown in soil, that is being able to provide the plant much more of these right. micronutrients that, that you won't get. Even I would imagine from organic produce in the supermarket, there's still no way to know right. the quality of the soil, how depleted right. that soil is. So even being able to come and visit and seeing how, how the produce is prepared in an operation like yours versus something more industrialized could also be, I think, a very important distinction for people to understand. If, if nutrients are important to you, I absolutely, I mean, and it's bigger than that because where do the nutrients in our meat come from, right? They come from the, the cows who have to absorb that through the blades of grass, but yep. it has to be present in the soil yep. to be in the blades of grass to be absorbed by the cow. And so when people ask me what I farm in a nutshell, I say we build soil because from high quality soil comes super wonderful you know, pest management, integrated pest management systems that where you don't have to spray because you've got ecosystems in place, comes super nutritionally dense um, grass and produce. And, and then the result of that is animals that are healthy and you've got to, you don't have to have a, an intensive disease management protocol or vaccination program because you've got good quality stock that is that's been raised right and is eating super nutritionally dense foods. Yes, that's incredible. Okay, so you are that, that's an interesting way to describe the business is say you're in, you're in the business of producing soil because it really it really all goes from there heart to heart farms producing animal and vegetable produce but at the end of the day it it starts with providing the right soil that is not nutrient depleted so that we don't have to eat 16 cabbages to get the nutrient density of one previously. Even though these products look beautiful in the store, they look nutritious and delicious and exactly the same as they did in 1952, the nutrient density or the nutrient availability, bioavailability, I'm not sure if that's the right word or not, but in this food actually is lacking. And those are some of the reasons you can start to have a relationship with someone local who's doing this in ways that are going to provide that type of nutrient density. Absolutely. And not to mention you're going to get products that you can't find in the store. I mean, yeah. like the ability because you, they're going to have, I mean, half of the things that we grow aren't viable commercially because they don't grow in big enough volumes or because they don't keep on the shelf. Give us a few and examples, we, a small, small um, production type stuff. I mean, so the different species of blueberries, we've got 12 different species, varieties of blueberry and only two of those are, are suitable for commercial production because they bruise easily. Same is true for apples. And the same is true for a lot of the heritage and heirloom lettuces and greens because they wilt within hours of being picked. Mm -hmm. And so not only are you getting stuff, you know, products from, from a place that's healing the soil and so they're more nutritionally dense, but they're fresher. And so the, those nutrients haven't, been you haven't deteriorated over time because you're you're getting them within hours of them being harvested even nutrient nutrient profiles that you wouldn't normally be able to get like you said these products are not commercially viable so you, you don't even have access to them there, there's a there's a small subset of produce that is commercially carrots celery cucumbers peppers the things you see on every supermarket shelf but there's these other incredible species 
that have all kinds of nutritional and healthful and bioavailability compounds that, that you just can't even get in the supermarket. That's one of the great things about a farmer's market and, and then going straight to the source, even stuff that is not even viable for farmer's market, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming is stuff that, that you can walk away with when you go visit a local farmer and just take it right out of there. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Love it. Cool. Well, I think this has been a helpful discussion. I think it's really educational for people to start to make these connections. Anecdotally and intellectually, all of us have probably come across this type of information before. But when I met you at the conference, I loved what you guys were doing. I wanted to educate people using our product who are very actively tracking their health on different ways to even go beyond the high quality products you're you're getting in the store and and have a completely different type of relationship with the food you buy, the people that produce it, the soil that it's produced in, which is just another way, I think, for us to become educated and empowered to take our health to the next level. We help people track it all. So hopefully people will start to see evidence of health improvement through our system as they start to make these healthy decisions. So this is cool stuff, Tyler. And uh, thanks for making the time to join us. Now you're at, for those of us who are on the West Coast, you said you guys do business up and down the West Coast, correct? Primarily? Yeah. Okay. So although if you've got a really, really sweet place for me to hang out, I can be motivated to take a road trip to Arizona or Colorado. I mean, tell me where you tell me where you are and what you've got. Define we'll sweet. So so people are gonna take you up on this. So so what are you, all right. A few bottles of we wine. Start, I started I had a gentleman reach out from Belize who wanted to to learn how to obviously delivering to Belize is a little bit challenging. Sure. But he'd heard about us and so he flew out and we did a, a wonderful tour of the farm and an educational program. So he actually flies me out once a year and I do consultation work. So he puts me up. He's got an eco lodge out there and I do consultation work and teach his staff how to do what we do. Incredible. And, uh, and the only thing he pays me, I mean, he puts me up and he provides some wonderful scuba diving opportunities. And so, I mean, I, I love, I mean, that's, that's my passion is teaching this stuff. So if you, you know, and, but if you just wanted any of the folks down in, I think it was, uh, we just went Palm Springs and we delivered all the way down there. And, the, you know, just put me up. If you got a neat place and we'll, we'll make it work. I like the sounds of that. I think there'll be a few people that will hopefully take you up on that offer. Belize sounds pretty spectacular. That, that might be a tough one to top, but we'll see. You never know who's listening to this thing. Right. So that's awesome. Great way for you to see the world, meet amazing yeah. people, spread something that you're incredibly passionate about. So that sounds awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and what you're doing is fantastic. I, I mean, there's, that's part of the challenge is when we make these shifts, that's one of the reasons why they're not lasting shifts because it's hard to see what's going on in our blood and, and, and the ability to track that is incredibly valuable because then you can see on paper Absolutely. what the difference is. That's why we Are my markers of disease getting better? Okay, right. I'll try X. Does the numbers right. get better or worse? I'll try Y. Does the numbers get better or worse? So making the changes to the diet and, and the way the food is sourced and highly nutrient-dense food and and animals that are raised the the way you guys are doing them those will start to show up when we go to the doctor get the blood drawn and we see markers related to inflammation for example right and we see markers. best way to pick your farm right there you (laughs) yeah pick your farm eat there for a month test your blood boom that's it yes do the before and after yeah exactly so yeah that that's i think how there's synergies between what we do and what you do we help quantify it you produce it we'll help people quantify it so they can see for themselves and and yes thank you for doing what you're doing 
Thanks, man. Likewise, Tyler. I'll see you hopefully next year at the conference. I may have to swing up your way at some point and make a purchase since we're technically in, uh, in, the same, in the same area. So it was a great discussion. Thanks for having us. Anywhere else that people can find you besides Heart to Heart Farms, which is your website. You also mentioned Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash heart to heart farms. Is that right? Absolutely. And then my wife has got a private practice. So she, she, uh, an NPA, you mentioned an NTP practitioner and she also is a fermentationist and an herbalist. And she, so she runs a private practice here. That's really focused on helping people overcome autoimmune disorders and, and improve their health and vitality. I mean, that's heart to heart health.com. So So your your wife is working with people who have autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Autoimmune paleo, for example, it's extremely difficult to implement just just because of the even finding these types of foods. So your wife is the certified practitioner. And so she actually has got a private practice that is, I mean, she's got access to the food. And so for autoimmune conditions, I think that's incredibly exciting is, is to be able to provide that type of food quality to people and then start to see the immune system tamp itself down as as healthy food gets introduced into the system. And we're super blessed. We've got extra space. So if people want to come out, a lot of her patients or her clients will come out for a week or two weeks at a time because a a big piece of this is learning how to cook again because we're used to an industrialized food system. And so identifying vegetables. I mean, really learning to even just look around and see what's around. Most people have 10 to 15 species of medicine growing in their yards if they don't spray it with Roundup uh, because they think it's a weed. But uh, so we have folks that come out and they they actually stay on site for a couple of weeks and we teach them how to cook and teach them how to source and teach, you know, I mean, really start to finish how to revamp their health. But I can't think of a better way to track it and, you know, I mean, really quantify it than what you're doing, man. It's, it's just beautiful work. So. Well, we have a ton of people with autoimmune. Everyone in my family, knock on wood aside from me, is autoimmune. Mm. And, and I know how, how, how much of a difference in even going on to a very clean autoimmune template diet is. But like you said, that, that's incredibly overwhelming for people, especially if they're already sick. Right. It's like, oh, man, now I got to go figure out how to cook and eat. And it's just... Right. So you have the food being produced there. You have your wife, who is the subject matter expert in all of this stuff. And people, I'm assuming, even people who are extremely sick probably find great comfort in the fact that knowing that they can come there and just have some people teach them. It's hard enough going online and trying to distill information and and what's credible and what's not it can be completely overwhelming especially if you're already dealing with illness so that that's an amazing opportunity for people i think so your wife's website can you say that again tyler i I was going to write it down here but it's heart to heart health.com so heart like in your chest the number two and then health.com and she's a registered nurse so she's really i mean she's very she did medevac for afghanistan does emergency room nursing so she's got eastern and western medicine really he's got a wonderful balance but we, you know, what I'd love to do is you've, if you're down in Lake Tahoe, man, I just need to come down there. You can teach me your system. We'll bring you some goodies and put me up. We'll have some fun. Well, do you ski or snowboard? Uh, I snowboard. The wife skis. I snowboard. So we need to make that happen. That would be absolutely incredible. I'll put you up here. We've got a beautiful pad here up in Truckee, California. Great. So I'm taking you up on that offer. Where I look forward a, to it. A sweet I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> I'm holding you to that. Okay. This Good. is live. This is going on the air. So Good. we're both now accountable to make that happen. That sounds incredible. Awesome.
All right, man. I'll get you back. Thank you for having me again. What you and your wife are doing is amazing, Tyler. We're we're honored to share this information with everyone who's a user of Heads Up Health. So thanks for making the time, brother. You're welcome. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 